Let's go ahead and have a seat. Good Friday. So, this sentence popped in my head today. Well, I mean, pretty obvious. Jesus died for your sins, right? Jesus died for your sins. We've heard that so much. And uh, we get used to it, right? So this is a time to get together, and like most weeks, but tonight, as Daniel explained, we're really going to focus on the gravity and the darkness of the cross and sin, and ask that God would remind us. We get, we get used to things. We get used to everything. We get used to the gospel. Thank you. Jesus died for our sins. Now, last year, I, I got a fun car. It was a, uh, it's a 400-horsepower Trailblazer SS, 0 to 60 in like five and a half seconds. That, it used to feel fast. Now I'm like, this thing's a sled. It's terrible. So I got a 1,000cc motorcycle, right? So talk to me next year if I make it. <laughs> the point is we get used to things. How many times have you heard Jesus died for your sins, Right? And so what we're doing here is asking God to help us. We belittle sin and therefore belittle the cross. So one of the ways I want to draw us in to see Jesus and see grace is to talk about sin, right? In really explicit ways. Why? So that God may be glorified. That's my prayer. And we make little of sin. We make little of the cross. Jesus died. Big deal. Died for your sin. Well, that's not that bad. So let's talk, let's linger, let's look at sin. We're going to look at sin here in this text, in this passage, these passages that have been shared. We're going to look at sin in the world, and Lord willing, we'll look at sin in our own hearts. Perhaps if we get a little better sense of sin, we'll get a better sense of the cross. There's a pastor named Burke Parsons Parsons that says this, If you never get sad, I wonder if you take your sin seriously enough. Now if you're always sad, I wonder if you take the cross seriously enough, right? So what I'm seeing here is that we need to take both very seriously, to rejoice in the blood and the sacrifice of Christ requires that we have a sensitivity to sin. When Jesus sent, was talking about sending the Holy Spirit, one of the things he said the Holy Spirit would do is convict the world of sin, not just sin and of righteousness, but they both go together. We will not celebrate righteousness until we see sin. We will not rejoice in Christ until we see sin. So in these passages, it becomes clear that Jesus stands alone. Joe Brinkman, one of our worship leaders, wrote a song called called The Only One, and it's about Jesus, and the question is posed, are you the only one, basically, who won't turn away, who won't sin, who won't let people down? And the answer is yes. And so we sing that song to him, and we see this in this passage. Let me just highlight the characters in this passage. You have Judas, right? As we know, betrayed Jesus. That's one of those Bible names. No one ever names their kids, right? He's ruined. It's like Judas and Hitler. Although I knew a guy named Hitler. He was Mexican, so I'm not sure. Hitler. I'm not sure that counts, but Judas. And betrayed him with a kiss. It's like adding insult to injury. And I love the, Jesus just calls him out, would you betray me with a kiss? But that's how betrayal works, right? This is how sin works. There's a, there's a, a veneer. And sin and darkness comes disguised as light. 
That's how dark it is. And it pretends to be for you. It betrays with a kiss. You've got the chief priests, the officers, and the elders that come to arrest him on false charges. We know when we read the gospel story that Jesus was without sin, and they had no cause, but they wanted him out of the way. And so they make up false charges. And Jesus says to them, do you come right with clubs like I'm a robber? And he says, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Come in the dark. And I think there's more there. It isn't just that they came at night. Night is a symbol in the Bible because it's a symbol in reality. They are there under the power of darkness. So there's, we're going to see these humans and what they're doing. And as we look at sin on the earth, there's this human level, but there's this other level that we believe is involved in the cosmic powers of darkness, right? And sometimes it comes out explicitly in the text, and sometimes it's there suggestively. This is your hour and the power of darkness, the betrayal of the Son of Man. Peter, oh, Peter, denied Jesus, right? And that rooster crowing to hear the rooster crow after he told Jesus he would go to prison and to death for him. Right, Peter, braggadocious, I will never leave you. And Jesus predicts his failing. And even knowing that, the inability of Peter to not deny Jesus, to give in to fear, to cowardice, and ultimately betray him. Peter's a tragic, tragic story, which later is redeemed. But at this point, it's just a tragedy. All the disciples... I mean, everyone here, all the disciples, Jesus is sitting with them, eating the Passover, giving meaning to it, talking about how he's going to go and give his life for them, right? He's going to intercede for their sin. He's laying down. He's literally telling them, right? This is my body broken for you. I love you. I am going to the cross. I am God incarnate. My blood will be poured out. And this didn't get read today, but if right in that passage, as you read, and he talks about instructing them and what the Passover meal represents. And I'm doing this because I love you. The next verse in Luke is this. A dispute also arose among the disciples as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. We wouldn't do things like that, right? Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He said, I find no guilt in this man. And yet he handed him over to be crucified. Why? To preserve his power. That's the way worldly power works. And it's still true to this day. Pilate protected himself by handing over an innocent man. The crowds, they turn on him. Why? Because people are fickle. They love him and now they're shouting crucify him. Why? Because he's in chains and he's no longer of use to us. What they don't realize, right, is that this is when he is of most use to them. This is what it takes. The soldiers beating. Now, this is their job. Imagine this is your job. You get up, drive to work, and you torture people. What kind of person does that? Now, one of the keys to seeing sin and seeing the gospel of grace is that we are not different than these people. Our paths and our history and God's intervention in our life and grace has prevented us. But none of us here are incapable of being these soldiers. 
Right? We cry out in that song, Ashamed I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. Who? Which scoffers? Maybe these soldiers. They're mocking him. It's not enough just to get the job done. They're mocking him. They're reveling in the darkness. Have you ever enjoyed darkness? That's just in this text. The good news is that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. John tells us that. He is the sacrifice. This is what we're celebrating. That he, out of love, interceded, stepped in between us and the wrath of God. And because of that, we can be forgiven, adopted, and made new. And John says, not only is he the sacrifice for our sins, but also of the whole world. It doesn't mean that every person is saved. But what it means is this, is that Jesus at the cross, yes, he stood in for you and all of us individually, but he also stood up against the cosmic powers and principalities over this present world. He took on darkness. He took on sin. He took on evil powers. He was, as the New Testament tells us, he is reconciling all things to himself. On Jesus, the world turns Right? There's an entire new era here. There's the covenant and then the new covenant. New things being made and starting from the cross. He's the seed that falls to the ground, bursts the church, and bursts what will eventually be the new heavens and new earth. That's a lot of weight on one man. It made me think of uh, Endgame when Tony Stark snapped, right? Snapped the, many of you haven't seen this. I'm not going to explain it. Most of you have because you're smart people. Um, no, it's not for smart people. It's just silly, but why did Tony die? Right? He, th- this moment when he snapped his fingers was the fulcrum that turned the world, right? The, all of history was going in one direction, and then this man snaps his fingers, and everything turns and changes. It isn't just about the stones. It's about everything. The entire universe pivoted on that man. That's a shadow of what happened to Jesus. It was my sin and your sin. And the entire dark cosmic realm descended upon that moment. Destroyed him. Now it's hard for us to see those things, right? We don't see what's behind, right? The unseen realm, the principalities and the powers, but they play out in human systems. Which is why when we look out at the world, it's so broken. So I'm going to discuss a couple sin issues that are obviously individual, and some of these will relate to you as individuals, but they're, they're, they're pandemics of sin to global proportions. So just some stats about human trafficking. Let me define human trafficking here. Also known as modern slavery, Human trafficking is the illegal trade in human beings through recruitment or abduction by means of force, fraud, or coercion for the purposes of forced labor, debt bondage, or sexual exploitation. 25 million people currently, well, this is from 2019, are victims of forced labor. We could tend to think of slavery as that's from the past. That's still part of the sin that's in the world. This is part of the darkness that Jesus combats at the cross. This is part of what he endured. It's not just me and my sin, which is enough. It's, it's the global system of darkness and sin. 
4.8 million people are trafficked for forced sexual exploitation. Do you imagine something more horrific? To happen to you or someone you love, and maybe someone here knows someone who's been in that situation. But this is part of what sin has led to in the world, right? That sin has entered the world, and yes, it includes things like lying and apathy, but it also takes really, really dark forms. And what I want us to see here is that this is what fell upon Jesus. He didn't just die for church sins. He took on the cosmic powers of darkness. One million children are trafficked for commercial sexual exploitation. Now I have some things in here that I'm like, is this too much? Is this unmentionable? Well, it's happening. It's hap- this is the world we live in. This is the world we walk on. This is the world God loves. This is the world he entered into. It's not a walk in the park. This is a dark world. The prince of the power of the air, right, is Satan's, one of his monikers in the scriptures, right? That at this point, the Christ is seated high and rules the universe. At a sub-level, this world is still handed over to darkness. Paul calls it this present darkness. And we're waiting for full consummation. Let's talk about pornography. 28,258 users are watching pornography every second. (laughs) The numbers are astounding. Depending on what you measure and how you measure it, some say it's the biggest industry on the planet. That means it's in your homes. It's in this room. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. Teens and young adults, age 13 to 24, believe not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. I do have one quote I won't share, if you're particularly... Curious, talk to me after the service. Child abuse. Child abuse is a, it's horrible. Listen to this. Children younger than one year old are the most vulnerable to maltreatment, accounting for almost half of child fatalities from abuse in 2018. Listen to this again. So, sometimes when children are abused, they are killed. Half of those fatalities are babies under one. That's part of what Jesus endured on the cross. Right, I'm globalizing this out. I'm, I want us to see mega, like Jesus died for my sins, yes, and man, that's a lot. Oh, but, but it's more than that. He's reconciling all things to himself. He is the Lord of all creation, and he is combating all all cosmic powers and darkness and the most wicked of things. Spouse abuse. One in four women and one in seven men have been victims of severe physical violence. 
by an intimate partner. There's the irony. It's not what intimate partners are supposed to be for. It's not what intimacy is about. It's like betrayed with a kiss. And then you've just got insanity in the world. Man, I can't comment on all the global issues, but I do just want to say it is insane that some of Dr. Dr. Seuss's stuff is just intolerable. But people can perform WAP, which if you know what that is, you know. If you don't, you don't need to know. On just television, public television. How is this happening? This is what happens when we're handed over, the culture's handed over to foolishness and darkness and sin, and we call what Isaiah says, we call evil good and good evil. We call lightness dark and darkness light. Now here's the thing, you may have some opinions about Dr. Seuss and some of the questionable stuff, and maybe, maybe you could clean some of that up. Fine, but the degree of outrage compared with the degree of celebration of the other stuff is what I'm talking about. What has gone on? The entire world has lost its mind. Now what about us? Now, I could go on, right, about our sin, and we will, but I just want to focus, tonight I felt led to just focus on our mouths, our words. There's a line in a 21 Pilot song where he says, Am I the only one I know waging my wars behind my face and above my throat. And I think he's talking about words. I'm waging, am I the only one I know waging my wars behind my face and above my throat? That the way we use our words, so we can get in to other sins and some of the other stuff I've read here maybe impacts you or you've been implicated by, but even just our words. James says this, we Not many should be teachers, my brethren. He's talking to me. But the reason he says that is because we all stumble in what we say. We all stumble in what we say. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. He uses an analogy. We put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Another analogy. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds... They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet boasts of great things. And he goes on to describe the destruction that we can do with our mouths. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Guys, one of this verse has rung true to me more than ever in 2020. And into this year. Words. Words. I have watched us bite and devour one another. I have done it. Because we all stumble in what we say. And we're to love one another. And we get so caught up in the issues and what's important and who said what. And we we are not loving with our words. And James is saying we are setting a blaze, a force with such a small fire. And he goes on to describe this. I want us to get a sense of the importance of our words and how we t- 
talk. And I would add, when James says not many of us should be teachers, I would add, not many of us should be talkers. For we all stumble on what we say. And we set ablaze forests. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. This is when we give in to lies. We don't trust God. We're not in communion with Him. We give in to fear and pride and division, and we let it out because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and we bite and devour one another. We don't need the world to tear us down. No human being can tame the tongue. God can, but in and of ourselves, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Why? Because with it, we bless our Father. Yes, we come and we sing and sing to Jesus, and then we go and gossip. I was talking with someone recently. I want to envoy a gossip app that detects when you're gossiping and just like has a notification. But it's like, it's, it, it like yells out, your throat is an open grave. You know, you just at dinner, you start talking about people and everyone knows what's happening, but it's cool. We're used to it. But then the app, right, kicks in. The venom of asps is on your lips. James says it's, it's a horror that we bless with our tongues the Lord, our Lord and Father and then with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. So he's saying, what's in there? You're a church blessing. Well, that means there's thankfulness and joy in there and love, but then we're over there cursing. Like, well, what's in there? He said that the same stream can't produce two different things. So what's going on? There's some cleaning up that needs to happen. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. We bite and devour one another. We grumble. (laughs) We grumble. That word, I looked it up. It's uh, two, two definitions that I think complement one another. To grumble, to complain about something in a bad-tempered way. Man, how many times do you complain a week? And we just act like it's no big deal. What's the big deal? And we just get used to it, right? Because we hear these other, well, at least I'm not in sex trafficking. But man, we just grumble. Meanwhile, God is saying, glorify me in all things. Bless me. Be thankful. Do everything without grumbling. We're just like, oh, it doesn't really mean that one. So we just grumble, 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 complain. The second definition is to make a low, rumbling sound. That, to me, that, that's there. It isn't just an occasional complaint. It's this grumble. It's this rumble underneath, right, about how things should be and how I should be treated and how I should be perceived and how easy things should be and how people should know how to use four-way stops. My son started driving recently on his own, and... Uh, I'm not asking him, how's, how are you feeling? Like, are you enjoying it? Or is it, are you nervous? And he said, no, it's fine, except those four-way stops. And I said, stop your grumbling. <laughs> no, I didn't. I said, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. I agreed. Do you guys see how easy that is for us? How we just flow into that. 
But to be intentional and speak life and love, oh, that's the fight. That's the empowerment of the Spirit. We've got to lean into that. But if we just groove, C.S. Lewis describes hell in different ways. One of those is he describes of basically this grumble. Listen to this. He says, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there may come a day when you can no longer. There will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. And at this point, because we've been given the Spirit and God loves us, we are not our grumble. We are not our grumbling. And we, God is calling us to not lean into that and not just go with the flow, but engage with His Spirit and to seek words of life and to speak life to one another, church. What would that look like? To encourage, to bless. It can seem dark. There's a lot. <laughs> We're even scratching the surface here. And I was scrolling the stats. I mean, I had to pick out little highlights. There's so much out there. And I didn't even get into global poverty and tyranny, despotism and war, adultery, just this world. And so this is why we rejoice in Christ. Because he took that all on. He took our sin. He took your sin. He took the neighbor's sin. He took the global sin. He took the cosmic sin. And he's the God we worship. He's the only God who's worthy of worship in a world like this. Why? Because he entered into it. There's this poem I've shared a part of before. I'm going to read the whole thing to you here. It's called Jesus of the Scars. And kind of the point he's making is that a wounded world needs a wounded God. If one thing has become clear to me and hopefully to us as we meditated here tonight is this is a wounded world. This is not a healthy world. A wounded world needs a wounded God. Some faraway God who's distinct and uninjured and unassociated with pain and suffering and brokenness makes no sense in this world. To me, this is one of the primary proofs of the reality of Jesus being the Son of God because this world is broken and ruined, and so is our God. He was lashed. He was spat upon. He was mocked. He was broken. That's my God. Listen to this. I think the man's name is Edward Shalito, Jesus of the Scars. If we have never sought... You, if we have never sought, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. Let me read that again. I think it's so beautiful. If we have never sought, we seek thee now, right, in this dark world. Thine eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. We must have sight of thy thorn pricks on thy brow. We must have sight of thorn pricks on thy brow. This is what we're here tonight, guys, looking for a God with thorn pricks on his brow because this is a wounded world. 
That's what we need to see when we gaze up toward God. Thorn pricks on the brow. We must have thee, O Jesus of the scars. The heavens frighten us. They are too calm. In all the universe, we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us. Where is the balm? Lord Jesus, by thy scars we claim thy grace. If, when the doors are shut and there's nowhere else to go, thou drawest near, only reveal those hands. It's like we were singing, right? Jesus stands, there he stands, welcoming you with wounds. If, when doors are shut, thou drawest near, only reveal those hands, that side of thine. That's what we're here to look at. Right? The thorns, the piercings, the side. Reveal those hands, that side of thine. We know today what wounds are. We know what wounds are. Look at the world. Have no fear. Show us thy scars. We know the countersign. Here's what he means. We are wounded as well. So come, Jesus, show us. In one sense, the gospel calls us, come to God and show him your wounds. He knows. He's scarred too. And this just repeats back. Yes, show us your scars. We know. We're scarred. The other gods were strong. So who's your God? I say it's Jesus of the scars. Other gods, are they wounded? Because that's the kind of God we need. He says, the other gods, what are they? Strong. Oh, they're strong. But you were weak. They rode, right, like horses, strong. But you stumbled to your throne. And to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. Right? It's like when, someone, when two people have suffered a similar trial, there's a way they understand one another. If you're not wounded, you can't speak to my wounds. So he's saying here this about God. To our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. Number one, they're infinite. They're huge. This world is infinitely broken. We need God's wounds. It needs to be a wounded God, an eternal being who knows woundedness. That's the only answer for this world. To our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who we're here to see and to lean into. And so I'm going to pray and ask that God meets us here as we continue to look into his word and hear and to sing and by God's grace mingle with his spirit that he would show us the depths of sin, that the Holy Spirit would come, will convict us of sin, convict us of righteousness, and that's the place of joy when we rejoice in Jesus. So, God, thank you for your grace, for coming and bearing what you did, and we <clears throat> are scratching the surface. You endured eternal wrath for eternal love. So give us a glimpse of that. Amen.